0: We're going to read Matthew 1, to, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. If you open your Bibles with me. It's on page 807 in the, in the Pew Bibles. Now we're finishing up our Advent series, our Christmas series, that we've been calling Jesus' Dysfunctional Family. And it's just highlighting the fact that as you go through these names that we're about to read... Every single person in there is some sort of moral failure. Some, they're weak. Uh, they're, they're sinners. And that the whole reason Jesus came was to give sinners moral failures rest. That he's not ashamed to call us his brother. And so this morning what we're going to do, it's going to be a little different, but we're going to look at the names as a whole and see what God has to teach us. So let's read, read God's word. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and (laughs) Zerubbabel, I'm babbling here, the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, And and Mothan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. (laughs) And this is God's word. (laughs) It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us, even this, because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us alone with our imaginations to to see what you are like, Uh, that you came down and revealed yourself more fully in your son. So help us to see what he's done and to experience and enter into your rest this morning, this Christmas day. So teach us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christmas has arrived, and much like reading that whole list of names, <laughs> the Christmas season feels like a marathon. And I don't know about you, I'm, it, a lot of times it feels like you're just falling across the finish line as you get through all the busyness of the season. I mean, it's the most wonderful time of year, but it's also the most busy, it seems like. And ironically, Christmas is the time where we're supposed to think about rest. What what Jesus came to do, why Jesus was born, was to give us weak and worn out sinners, people, his people, rest. And so that's why this this whole genealogy I'm gonna argue and show you is actually about rest. That as we, as we read this and as, when you look back after when we're all done, I hope you'll be able to see that these are real people who were looking for rest and looking to Jesus to give them that rest. And that's what we need. Um, more than just physical rest where you put your feet up and, and drink some eggnog and, and enjoy time with family or whatever it is that you do. You know, we need something deeper. Something to calm our anxiety. Something to calm our fears. Something to give us a hope in the midst of, of all the craziness that, that is our lives. Real rest. And this is hard for us. Right? I mean, we have a hard time just resting physically, just stopping one day a week. Um, it, it's in our American, our Western genes to, to never stop, to try and be as productive as we can to get the most out of our time. Which is funny, as you think about how much we work and how unwilling we are to take vacations. There was an article in, in Time Magazine I was reading, this was last year. And this is what they're arguing, that we're overworked and we don't know how to rest. And in twenty thirteen, the survey said there was hundred and sixty-nine million unused vacation days. And so that means essentially Americans did fifty-two point billion dollars of work for free that was completely unnecessary. <laughs> right. And in the midst it's even funnier, is in, in 1930, you remember I don't know if you remember your high school economics class, John Maynard Keynes, does that name sound familiar? He predicted that by the 21st century, right, now we would have we would be so comfortable we would barely have work to do. <laughs> that just because we're so comfortable, we might work 15 hours a week, uh, just just to satisfy the old Adam, just you know, just to have something to do. And that even though we all know more deeply that if we rest, we actually work better. We just work and work and work. We're tired. And so enter the genealogy to give you hope. <laughs> All right, that as we come into the Christmas season and we feel like thin like butter scraped across too much bread, the genealogy is there to, to tell us that Sabbath rest has begun in this Jesus. And so I know you're asking, how does this list of names actually give us rest? So let's look at it. We're going to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of rest and we're going to see how we are pursuing rest, and then see how do you experience this deep, this deep peace that Christmas brings. So the fulfillment of rest, and I know—I mean, even as I read this, I could. if There's a, a pattern and a repetition, but as you read the names, this is the part we skip over, especially as you get to names like Zerubbabel, <laughs> and then. Jeroboam, Rehoboam, all these foreign things. We just skip over them because they're not familiar. And we're busy. We don't have time to sit and think and do all the, all the work to try and figure out who these are. But we have a summary statement at the end where, where Matthew says that all the generations from Abraham to David and from David to the Babylon, Babylonian exile and from Babylon to Jesus, it's 14 generations. And it, whether you know this or not, I mean, you can see this, that the, it's not saying that this is a completely exhaustive list of all of Jesus' ancestors. There are gaps. And there's not exactly 14 generations between Abraham and, and David, and David in the exile. It's an edited list. This is history. This is Jesus' real family tree. But Matthew's given us a history to teach us something. And so I mean, Somebody pointed this out to me, that you think about Rahab and Boaz. Rahab was lived during the time of Joshua when Israel was taking Jericho. And Boaz was later in the time of Judges after Joshua died. So what it's saying is, is they're ancestors, but there's a gap in there somehow. But Matthew wanted you to realize that Rahab is a part of Jesus' family tree. She's important. Right? And so because Matthew is a historian and a teacher, he's choosing these names to make one big point and using numbers to get there, which is really, I know it's strange to us, but these numbers would have meant something to the, the original hearers. So we've got to ask, okay, why 14 generations? Why focus on this number? And you know, there's, there's several good answers. I'm going to give you what I think is, makes the most sense. I mean, one, Matthew wants you to see that Jesus is grounded in history. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. And he, he, he's the descendant of all of Israel, who, these people who were in exile. And if you think about it, God's promise to Abraham was that his, one day Abraham's descendants would have rest in the promised land. And that one day in the future, too, through David, David the king would lead God's people into that rest. Somebody, one of David's ancestors. And then you get to exile, to Babylon. And no, they have not experienced that rest. All right, so we're about to do some math. So I know this is vacation, so sorry. It's, you gotta, <laughs> I know you're on vacation. But there's three fourteens. And this is what people smarter than me have noticed. That uh that three fourteens is six sevens, right? Fourteen times three is forty-two. And that uh, six sevens is forty-two as well. And so what Matthew is showing us is that Jesus' birth is the seventh seven. It's life-changing, right? <laughs> But it should be because if if you know the Bible and if you if you don't know the Bible, that this, these numbers, six and seven are very important. It has to do with God creating the world and then on the seventh day resting. right that God made the world in six days and then he rested on the seventh, and Matthew's original here would have this, these would have this would have rung a bell, right that. That God has always promised his people that he would dwell with them and that when he came to dwell with them, that he would do away with all evil, all sickness, all sorrow, all suffering, all sin. And there would just be this deep joy, this deep rest. And it would happen on the Sabbath. That's what Sabbath rest is all about. You've heard the commandment, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And the big idea, right, is that you're supposed to rest one day a week to not work, to trust God to provide for you as you don't work on that one day, and, and particularly enjoy God's good gifts to you. It's a gift to us for our well-being so we don't go crazy, so we don't overwork ourselves. It's a reminder that you and I are more than what we do. We're God's child. You shall rest because God rested. That's the Sabbath. Sabbath. But there's more to it than that because in the Old Testament there was a promise. This is always looking forward. It was this thing called the, Ju- the year of Jubilee. On the 7th, seven, right, the, the 49th year, this is basically what it was. That every generation God declared that there should be a year of celebration, a year of rest. And during that year you wouldn't work the land. You would just survive off of whatever grows. You should be prepared for that. Give the land a break, give your employees a break, give the animals a break. You should set your servants and your slaves free every year. And on top of that, there was debt forgiveness. So if you went into debt, once every generation, you had, you had all of your bills paid off, so to speak. And those who were slaves, because they went into debt, they got to go home again. I mean, it was, it was meant to be a time of great joy, So every generation was a whole year off. I mean, just imagine how great that would be and how much you would look forward to that if we somehow were able to pull that off here. I don't think they actually practice it. I mean, you read the Old Testament and the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. It's hard to know if they actually did these things. I mean, we have a hard time taking a day off, so it's hard to imagine people being willing to say, I'm just going to stop for a year and trust God to provide. But it was this picture that rest is out there. That rest is possible. A time where you can enjoy God's gifts, enjoy God's people, uh, and, and it's experience this deeper rest where you know your sins are forgiven. You can sit with yourself and be happy. <laughs> and so here's the picture of Matthew. I know this is, that's a fly-by summary of the Old Testament. Matthew is telling us that Jesus' birth... It's the beginning of this ultimate jubilee, this time of, this is the one who will bring us into God's rest. Everybody's been working and they hadn't, have not yet fully arrived. That There's something deeper that's going to come with Jesus. It's, it's the dawn of the eternal Sabbath. It's the dawn of a new creation, a new day. Right. So this is what Christmas is about. So here's I know you're saying I've said rest probably 50 times already. What am I what is rest? I think one of the helpful ways to think about it is think we're talking about family, family trees. Think about, think about Christmas family meals. The ideal Christmas with family is you come home to a people who love you, who are well aware of all your quirks and your flaws, <laughs> who let you be yourself anyway. You, know, you come into this judgment-free zone, so to speak, where you can put your feet up, you can stop thinking about all of the crazy things that you need to do, all of your obligations, all of your anxieties, all of your fears, where you can just stop and take a deep breath and enjoy what God has given you. That's rest. Rest is something you experience when you're home. And God's rest is something we experience when he becomes our home. That's what Jesus is promising to bring here, and that's what Matthew's trying to get us to think about. Now, get to our second point. Those moments are very few and and, and far and spread out, are they not? Of where we can stop your worries, uh, Stop Stop hating yourself. Um, really believe that God loves you and cares for you and is going to uh, pay your bills. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you to, to carry you through another year. Why is it so difficult? And as you look at this family tree, we get glimpses because one of the things that all these names teach us and the New Testament will tell us is that everybody here including ourselves, are functionally homeless without God. That even though we have a home, this world doesn't f- treat us like it's our home. Right? There's people, work, we work really, really hard, right? That's what we do. You go to work, you go to work, and you go to work, you live for the weekend, and then we go through the weekend, and it's not really restful, it's full of activity, and then we repeat. And that's what's been happening for th- every generation. You look at Jacob, he worked... His whole life, just to get his dad to say, just to get his father's blessing, to say, I love you. And it caused all kinds of destruction in his life. Or David, who worked his whole life to build up the kingdom of Israel. And then through some, some terrible decisions, all right, he brought about a mess. And even the guy who was up here, he couldn't, he couldn't rest. This is a guy who was successful. He had power, he had money, he had respect. He had wives and girlfriends. I mean, the whole picture, everything people lived for, he had it. He says he was on the couch and he was restless. Right? Or, I mean, even David, the one who, I mean, you read the Psalms, and he loved God more, more I and mean, he was a man after God's own heart. He would say in Psalm 119, I'm a stranger here on the earth. Something's off. This world doesn't feel like home. You see, that's what—that's what this fallen world does to us. It, we are, have this deep memory in us that something is wrong with the world, and this is not how things ought to be. And as we work and work and work and look for rest, and we can't find it, and we want to know why. We, we work to find joy and peace and comfort. We we'll find ourselves restless because we don't like ourselves, or we don't like the people we're around, or crisis hits. And home doesn't feel like home. I mean, listen to how the book of Hebrews describes these people that we just read. It says in, in Hebrews eleven thirteen 13, that they all died in faith. They had not yet received the, the things promised, like this rest. They saw them and greeted them from afar, and they acknowledged that they were strangers. They were homeless here on earth, and people who talk like this make it clear that they are seeking a home. Right, but they've been thinking of that land which they've gone out. They, you know, if they were thinking about their earthly home, they just would have gone home and been fine. But Hebrews says, no, they're looking for a better country, something. More fulfilling, something more real, a heavenly one, and therefore God is not ashamed to call them their God, and He's prepared for them a home, a city. You see, I mean, Christmas shows us that we're we're working for rest. We want the perfect Christmas experience, where our kids love the gift. We're enjoying, you know, enjoying time with one another, where you can set aside our our squabbles and. And family dysfunction. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen. I mean, we get moments, but even those best moments, they don't satisfy. And so, Again, David, something's off. I'm a stranger here on this earth. I have a roof over my head. I have people who love me. I have children. I have wives. I have a home. But God, this is not my home. Don't leave me alone. So just, have you stopped and about, thought about this? Why is it the most powerful, the most wealthy, those who have spent their whole lives living for rest, can't find it? Listen to the Grinch, Jim Carrey, <laughs> the great theologian. He said, I wish everyone could have their dreams come true and become famous and wealthy and see that it's not the answer. And that's all he's saying is that I know that I have everything. And it. it I haven't found rest. And neither have those people around me. They actually become more miserable because they can't find it. So Matthew says, Unto us a child is born. A a new day has dawned. The the seventh seven has has come. (laughs) The Sabbath rest. All right. Here's what I want you to see that all these things we're talking about, they're good things. Right? That, that we have this longing for a home. It's a distant memory. A memory of how, how things should be. And we're not the only ones to notice this. I mean, I can give you a, 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 an atheist guy here. He's a philosopher, Albert Camus. I mean, he says, this is how I see the world. He says, man feels like a stranger, his exile is without remedy since he's deprived of the memory of a lost home or no promised land. And because of that, there's just something absurd about life that man doesn't feel at home in his own setting. He's not a believer. And he's saying if, if there is no God, you have no hope of a home. And so what is up with a world that's, that we call home? You know, why, why would fish be born out of water if they're, not, not, if they're designed to live in water? You see what he's saying? Or C.S. Lewis, I mean, this, this longing, I want to put my feet up and finally be, be at peace. He's, C.S. Lewis says, Christians are creatures, are, he says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. It's a pretty famous quote, that a baby feels hunger, so there's food. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that, that we were made for another world. And that if earthly pleasures do not satisfy it, it does not prove that the universe is a fraud. It's just trying to show you that the things that you are longing and thirsting for were not meant to satisfy it. (laughs) We know this, don't we? At Christmas, what was the one thing you wanted as a child? The Red Rider BB gun. He wanted it. He longed for it. He loved for it. You'll shoot your eye out, and he shot his eye out. You know, the the very best gifts. Fight back. <laughs> it's, it's that wonderful feeling. But if you look back at the things you longed for, I mean, they ended up in the trash because we got bored with them. And why is it that stuff only satisfies for a moment? That we feel restless. We feel tired. I mean, this is what Matthew is trying to tell us: is that the longing of your heart for rest has dawned in the birth of Christ. We're pursuing rest elsewhere, but this is where you're going to find it. Right? Now, what does rest look like? We, Hebrews tells us that we get, this is Hebrews chapter 4, we get to rest as God has rested. How did God rest? And to answer that question, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 2 when God made the world, right? He, he made the world in six days. It says he rested on the seventh. What did he do? And we get this picture that God just wanted to enjoy his creation. He came down to walk in the cool of the garden with with Adam and Eve, with people. He he was working to hold the universe together, but, but he worked to rest, and he rested to enjoy the things that he had made. That, that's the kind of rest we get to enter into. God's rest is the rest where he enjoys us and we enjoy him in the world in which he made and in the world in a place where as it is as it should be. And I would argue that as you read the story of the Bible, nobody, nobody until Jesus really entered into that rest. Even Adam and Eve. I think they blew it before they even got there. So it's always been out here. Say, man, I want it. I feel homeless. I'm longing. This world is not my home. God, fix everything that is wrong with my life. So, how do you get it? How do you find this rest? See, the humbling part of Christmas is we have to. Uh, well, we read it in Psalm 95. I'm giving you a whole summary of the Bible this morning here. All right? It ended on a real downer, did it not? For 40 years I hated that generation. I swore they would never enter in my rest. And it talked about these weird places, Massa and Meribah, but, but it, it held out the promise that if you listen to God's voice, if you would trust him, he will bring you into his rest. And he said, there are These people, they did not enter in. Why? Massa and Meribah are famous. It's famous events in Israelite history. It's an Exodus in the desert. God's people are wandering, and they have hunger. They have thirst. They have desires. You know, when you're in the desert, you want a home. You want to be comfortable. And so, there's this place in Exodus 17 where they're thirsty, and they come to Moses and say, "God," they say, "Moses, we're thirsty." God's doing a terrible job of taking care of us. He's not a good God. We have no rest. Give us something to drink. And it goes beyond that. They're so mad, they're ready to stone him. They're complaining. They're grumbling. God, you're a bad God. You're bad at your job. You're a terrible father. We're restless, and it's all your fault. This is what they do. They literally want to bring God up on charges and kill him. Put Moses on trial. That you brought us out here. You brought us into this mess. I mean, you can, you can feel the anger as you go through your own own hardship. God, why is this happening to me? And we grumble and complain. And God says that is grumbling and complaining is an, a legal charge against God. And the irony is that that whole generation, day after day, got to watch God give them good gifts. He gave them bread in the desert. He gave them water. He brought them out of slavery. He was bringing them to a promised land. He was going to give them rest. And they complained. And so they didn't enter in. And so you could say that finding rest is incredibly difficult because we grumble. We don't trust the one who promises to bring us in. And sometimes we have good reasons for complaining. I mean, don't, don't hear me wrong. We're in pain. This, is, this world hurts. I mean, it's a, they're in the desert. It's not comfortable. It's a far cry from Eden, from paradise. I mean, it's, it's thorns and thistles. It's suffering. It's hardship. And yet, God promises rest can be experienced no matter what you are going through. Even here right now, today, if you hear God's voice, God says, you can enter my rest. So how do we get it? That's how we're going to end. Well, Matthew says Jesus was born. You can't get it on your own. That's the humbling message of Christmas. That I'm a grumbler, I'm a complainer. I want rest, but when God gives me good gifts, I don't even know how to appreciate them, to get rest, to enjoy him, because I don't trust him. And so Jesus is born, and it's, it's amazing. There's something profound about Jesus, God come in the flesh, to be born in a barn, to be born really in, in a place without a home. And then he describes his ministry, right? He was functionally homeless. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And what's amazing is you, you look at the life of Jesus is the way that as he goes through these hardships, he is a man who is in a world without rest, but you can see that he has something that we do not. It seems like he has physical rest even when he's hungry. He gets into the desert just like Israel, fasting for 40 days. He's, he really is hungry. And instead of turning to anxiety, uh, instead of trying to fix things on his own, instead of trying to work really, really hard to fix his problem, to find rest, he is able to say, God is my Father, He will take care of me. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the very Word of God. How does he do that? You see, Jesus is a person with this deep emotional rest. Even, even in the midst of Extreme criticism and hatred. And as he goes to the cross, he's mocked and spit upon. And he prays, he prays for their forgiveness. And I don't know about you, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm emotionally afraid, when I, when I know I do not have rest, I mean, we have a word for it, right? We're not hungry, we're hangry. <laughs> we're angry. We get mean, we get cranky. We hurt people. And Jesus, after pouring out his heart and soul all night long in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, is there any other way to save my people, to give them rest, please take this cup from me? He's he's sweating drops of blood. He's that physically strung out. And when people come and, and treat him unfairly, he doesn't explode in wrath. He prays for their forgiveness. And ultimately, when he gets to the cross, you see Jesus willing to give up his rest so that we might have it. He gives up his home with God the Father so that we might have a home, so that we might have an eternal home, so that we might be part of his family. And he did that as our brother. I mean, this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus was born to die, to give us rest, to bring us into this eternal Sabbath, where we can eat and drink with God and be forgiven. Okay, this is this is the writer of the Hebrews again. It says for it was fitting that Jesus for whom all by whom all things exist and bringing many sons many people us to glory should make the f- founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, talking about Jesus. For those he sanctifies and those who he are being changed, they all have one source. It's Jesus, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He became exactly he became just like us, human. And it goes on. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he can help those who are being tempted. I mean, you get this picture that Jesus came to live the life we should have lived, to bring us into a rest, and that as we are restless, we can turn to Jesus in our time of need, and, and Emmanuel will come and say, I am with you. A home is coming. Just hang on. And that's the joy of Christmas. <laughs> right now, it didn't feel like a, an exegetical, every jot and tittle, every name, but it's saying that these people lived, they died looking for rest, they never, they never entered in. And Matthew wants you to say, the day has come, new creation has dawned. Jesus has begun this great work of bringing us into his rest. It's good news. Because how do you get it? It's just faith. Faith, faith in that Jesus has worked this for you so you can rest and when you put your faith in this Jesus you, get, you enter into God's rest and you get God's delight and it changes your whole relationship with all the good gifts that God has given you so you can look around this Christmas and say this is better than I deserve but it's going to be even better <laughs> even as we enjoy our, each other's company see this world is not our home Right. I mean, that's what, that's what the deaths of our loved ones, that's what uh, the frustrations with our loved ones, that's what our own exhaustion are telling us, that hope is, is real, that rest is coming, and that Jesus' work is going to bring us home. That's why Jesus would say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Trust me, my yoke is easy. And yoke is a working word, right? It's a picture of two oxen, you got... They're walking along in the field, they're plowing, and Jesus is saying, I got this. It's all going to be on my back. Just walk next to me. So that's what this Christmas is about. (laughs) Rest has come to us. So this Christmas, enjoy your gifts. Presents are a good thing. It's a reflection of, of the God who gives good gifts to us. But I want to challenge you this Christmas to think about Jesus who reverses the whole order of how you get rest. We think we have to work in order to get rest. And Jesus says, No, you need to rest in order to know how to work. I mean, Jesus, whose actions, whose love is telling us about his God, about our God, is saying, Look at what I've done. You have a Father who loves you. I've completed this work of obedience that's something you could never do. Now God's gonna walk with you and be your dwelling place for all the days of your life. And so this Christmas, we get to work hard. We get to enjoy our family. But enjoy his gifts. Enjoy the rest that God has given you through faith. And you know what it looks like? I'll end with this, this story. Joan and I got watched The, the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe for the first time uh, this, this Christmas season. And you remember Aslan, he's the, the Jesus figure. And he, there's rumors that he's landed, that this new day has dawned, that winter is going to end, that all things sad are going to come untrue. And all of Narnia, this, this land, is abuzz with joy. Father Christmas finally shows up, and he gives gifts to these particular group of animals. You remember? And the, while, what they're doing while they're surrounded by, by winter, by death, by, b- the battle is coming. They're eating and drinking. They're smiling and they're laughing. Right? They're rejoicing because they know that Aslan has come <laughs> to fight for them, to bring them home, to make their home a real home. Right? In a real way, I mean, what C.S. Lewis was trying to get us to see through a story is that heaven, real heaven, is going to be a new earth where it's going to be as it should be. And that's what, that's what we're called to do. Eat and drink by faith. That these are good gifts, even as we're surrounded by sighing and sorrow. And maybe, by faith, God will hear some laughter in heaven as we get to enjoy God's favor in Christ this Christmas season. I pray you get that taste today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of Christmas, that you sent your Son to bring us rest. And I know we're tired, and so I pray for those who are weak and weary and worn out this Christmas season, that they would come to Jesus, run to him for rest, and that we would get a taste of that great day when faith will become sight, when we'll we'll enter into our home, uh, new heavens and new earth, and our new bodies where we won't suffer, where we But we'll we'll get to see this Jesus who fought for us. (laughs) And so I pray for all of us this Christmas season that we would enjoy what you have given us. We would thank you and praise you. But we would also ache and long and look forward to the real rest that you are working working on for us on our behalf. So we say, uh, like the writer of Revelation, come, Lord Jesus, come. And may we experience this rest today in Jesus' name. Amen.